You are listening to NTC Messina's podcast, where our desire as a family of God is to simply know God, love one another, and make disciples. So this morning, um, really just the next few messages, kind of our, our uh, December theme is obviously about Christmas, but in, in my heart, I just feel like, you know, we really want to celebrate who Jesus is. You know, when we remember what's going, you know, what Christmas means, the fact that he's come here as a baby and it made possible all the things that he's done and modeled for us. He lived as a human. All of this, this storyline that we know as Christians is reminded to us in this kind of season. And so, you know, really just these next few weeks, my heart is just let's celebrate what Jesus has done for us. Let's celebrate who he is and what that means for our lives here and now, right? I mean, that's the whole point. We're not just a religious group remembering something that's happened many, many years ago. We're a people, a family of God who is impacted by Jesus in the here and now. In 2023 in Messina, New York, God is with us. And that's one of the most incredible things that we can remember. And so my title this morning is just simply this, He Has Come. And there's this idea that I think happens uh, because of difficulties in our life, because of circumstances, because of even disillusionment at times, meaning simply we have this expectation, right? Like this is how life is going to go. And how much um, has your life gone the way you expected? Exactly. If you're younger in here, we'll just, you know, clue you into a warning. Things happen. There used to be a slogan that said it differently. There's this reality that the world impacts our lives and things don't go as expected. And so even in Christianity, as we know God is here for us, there's this idea that sometimes we easily start to believe whether it's through circumstances or reality or disillusionment, that he's actually far from us, that he's disconnected from us. Or, or maybe we even just think, well, he's here for other people, but not for me. <laughs> or, or he just doesn't notice me, or, or he's too busy with something else happening in the world, or I'm not as important, I'm not as valued. But the reality is the message that he has come is an individual message as much as it is a global message. That he's come for our lives. He has come for you and I. And even today, in 2023, that's still his purpose. Is to show you how real he is. To show you how close he wants to be. And so we're going to read some scriptures today just to remind us of this. And then a story that just kind of stood out to me recently as I was reading in John um, that I just find unique in this moment. So in John 1, we're going to start just with John 1. This is kind of John, you know, as he writes the gospel of John, right? He This opening, like, rendition for him to introduce his story of Jesus. And it starts in verse 1. So chapter 1, verse 1, John says, In the beginning the Word already existed. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through him, and nothing was created except through him. The word gave life to everything that was created, and his life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness 
can never extinguish it. We know that when John was using this word kind of language, he's talking about Jesus. It says, God sent a man, John the Baptist, to tell about the light so that everyone might believe because of his testimony. John himself was not the light. He was simply a witness to tell about the light. The one who is the true light, who gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He came into the very world he created, but the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people, and even they rejected him. But to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. They are reborn, not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. So the word became human and made his home among us. Some really, really big things in these scriptures here. The overarching thought, though, is simply this, that God came to live with us. In the form of a man, Jesus, the Son of God, he came to actually make his home among us. It says that sometimes he came and people didn't recognize him. That's still happening today, right? That God kind of presents himself in people's lives. I think God's always creating these situations and circumstances, trying to reveal himself to people, and people just go on thinking, oh, that, that was an interesting coincidence. <laughs> Or, wow, I got really lucky in that situation. No, nah, you probably didn't. And Jesus is trying to show his goodness and who he is to the world. And, and he's trying to show the world that he's still here with us. But often people don't recognize him. And then it says he even comes to his own people and they rejected him, right? And we know that, of course, he's referring to the Jews in this story. But the truth is we do the same thing. Sometimes he comes to us and we don't even know it's actually him or we even reject him. And often that's because he comes in our lives in ways that we don't overly expect or even sometimes want. <laughs> so there's this tension with Jesus and it's this, it's this idea that really when he comes into our life, he wants to change everything, not just some things. Like all of us could easily have a list. Like, man, I, I really wish Jesus would come into my life and do A, B, C, D, and E. But you see, Jesus' list is usually a lot longer than that. Those are just the ones that were like, hey, these would make my life easier. But Jesus has this entire different list that isn't really about making our lives easier, but it's about making us who we're called to be. It's about making us back into the image of God. And, and then what does he say? Because of those who recognize him, it says he gave the right to become children of God. I've said this so many times. Jesus' original plan was to create this large family for himself, right? This, this relationship with humanity. And really all he's doing now is a restoration, reconciliation plan to bring his family back together. That's Christianity summed up, if you ask me. Of course, we make it more complicated than that. But Jesus is reconciling people to himself. He's bringing people back to himself. And what's awesome is this, this idea that we usually can't even come on our own. Right? We, we almost don't even have the ability and willpower. You know, I've, I've gotten into this debate so many times. If, if you know anything about Calvinism, 
Uh, Calvinism is just kind of a, a belief system within Christianity that would have some really solid kind of black and white doctrinal ideas about how God works. And I usually say when you think you've figured God out, you are the farthest from him. And so Calvinism says this one thing that there's actually nothing you can do to come to God. That he picks and chooses, and he's the only one who draws you into him. He's the one that reveals you did nothing to actually come to God. And, and I, there's this like almost agreement with that. And so this is where I would land. 99.999999% Jesus does the work. You still have to do something, though. There's still a response in your will. God will never make you follow him, never make you want to be with him. It says he's come to make his home in our lives, but the truth is he won't invade your house unless you let him in. But he comes to your house. It says, you know, in some scriptures that he literally knocks on the door of our heart. And that he's actually still knocking. And so there's this reality. Jesus has come to us is an incredible idea. And it's not just that he has come at once, which we're going to celebrate in the Christmas season. It's that's the, the, the reality that he's still coming in our lives right now. That he's actually coming to us as individuals, trying to get us to see his goodness, trying to transform us, and that he's actually searching and seeking out every heart. I love this about God. You know, I, I've shared my testimony here a number of times. And kind of the culmination of my testimony is this moment where I was running as far away from God as I could. And, and literally in my lowest moment, someone sent me this text. It said, run, run, run away from me, but you'll end up running right into me. Jesus. And I realize that's kind of true for all of us. We try to get away, but guess what? Jesus is faster than you. He knows where you're going. He'll take the shortcut and wait for you there. You can't get away from God. We try to reject him, and it's like maybe he honors us and he stays at that arm's length you know, distance away, but he's right there waiting for the moment that we actually put our guard down and put down the things that keep us from him and actually submit our lives to him. That's what salvation really is. It's when we finally let him in the door that he's been knocking on almost incessantly in our lives. I love when people come to Jesus, and it's like they kind of have these, you know, uh, this is true for almost all of us. We have these scales ripped off our eyes, and we begin to see the world very differently, right? And what's awesome is I love talking to someone who's newly come to Christ, and they realize that he loves them and his goodness for them, and they've received him in his life, and they start to realize how much he was actually there all along. All the times that he was maneuvering in their life and trying to do things in their life, all the times he saved them, all the times that he interjected, but they couldn't see it then. You know, like, like this first scripture, it says they didn't recognize him. But I believe in this season, and even today for some of us, we're going to recognize Jesus more than we ever have before. Because he's coming into your life right now, whoever you are. He's come for you. Luke 19.10 says, For the Son of Man came to seek and save those who are lost. I noticed a few 
uh, typos in my typing this morning, so just forgive me. For the Son of Man came to seek and save those who are lost. I love that scripture. This is actually just from the story of Zacchaeus. And if you don't know the story of Zacchaeus, Jesus coming into town one day, and there's this chief tax collector, and he's short, so he climbs this tree to see Jesus. And Jesus is walking along, and it says the crowds are thronging around him. And he stops in the midst of these crowds, all these people that want to be with him. And he calls out to Zacchaeus. He says, hey, Zacchaeus, come down from there. I must eat in your home today. All this is kind of miraculous. One chief tax collector, nobody wants to eat with that guy. One, the other one is he knows his name. And then he invites himself to his house. He goes to his house. There's kind of this miracle moment where Zacchaeus says, listen, if I've taken from people, I'm going to pay them four times as much back. There's this repentance moment. And, and then Jesus says, I came to seek and save those who are lost. I love that. He came to seek. You know what that means? It means that literally he's searching for us. He's searching for you this morning. And he's looking for you, and it, and it sometimes take, it, it takes the recognition we're lost, right? A lot of us don't like to admit that. You know, we'll, we'll go somewhere, and of course, phones nowadays help us a lot. But there are times, I don't know about you, but as a man, sometimes I'm like, I'm better than my phone. I don't need GPS to tell me how to get to Albany. I've been there hundreds of times. You know, and then some, somehow I'll get some wires crossed. My wife's like, oh, are we lost? I'm like, we're not lost until I don't know how to get back to where I started. That's the definition of lost. But I might not know where we are right now. <laughs> but we don't like to admit this lostness, right? In humanity, this is honestly one of the biggest obstacles, I think, that keeps people from Jesus. People just don't want to admit they need him. They want to admit they're a little bit lost in life. They're like, oh, no, I, I'm figuring it out. I, I, I got this. And it usually takes some huge calamity, you know, where we just finally fall apart and go, oh, maybe I'll go to church. <laughs> maybe, maybe I'll see what this Jesus thing is all about that someone was talking. And we wait till we get to the very, very end of ourselves. I was just telling the students this um, on Friday as I was teaching. I, I said, you know, we all love to learn the hard way. Just reality. It's like someone could tell us, someone could show us, someone could even try to prove to us how much easier a certain way is, and we're like, now I'll do it my way. And then later down the line, we're like, oh, that might have been smart. You know, I, 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 I always had this thought when I became a new parent, I realized how smart my parents really were. Before that, I thought I knew so much more than them. Then I became a parent. I'm like, oh, oh, this is hard taking care of other humans. <laughs> There's this reality. We don't like to acknowledge our lostness. We don't like to acknowledge that we need a Savior. We don't want to acknowledge that someone needs to come and search for me. But actually what's built into us is that very need. And actually we're desperate for someone to come and save us. And we just don't want to acknowledge it. But here Zacchaeus has this revelation, and Jesus makes this statement, I came to seek and save those who are lost. I want to read a couple of chapters with you this morning in John. So let's turn now to John 9. We're going to kind of land on this story that takes place. So we're going to read um, almost two whole chapters. So if you have a Bible, follow along with me. Uh, the guys with the scriptures will try to probably put them on the screen. 
Um, but John 9, um, we're just going to start reading, and then we'll get into this whole story that's taking place. So you've got John 9, verse 1. It says, as Jesus was walking along, he saw a man who had been blind from birth. Rabbi, his disciples asked him, why was this man born blind? Was it because of his own sins or his parents' sins? This is such an interesting moment for me. Look at this. So they're walking along, blind man, and the disciples who have seen Jesus heal a whole bunch of people by now, just so you know. Their question isn't, hey, are we going to heal this guy? Their question is, hey, why is he blind? And then they give Jesus two options, like only two in the multiple choice answer here. Is it because of his sin or his parents' sins? And what you can see here is that there is honestly a, a huge error in their theology about why people get sick or about why people maybe are born a certain way. This scripture has honestly spoke to me so much in my life with my own kids. I have two kids that were born with severe autism and are disabled to this day. And it's easy. I've actually had people ask me, is there a hidden sin in your life? I'm like, I don't think so. I mean, but, but, but really, you get desperate, and I look for it. I'm like, maybe there's something I don't know I'm sinning in. But the truth is, Jesus corrects their theology because they think it has to do with sin. That calamity in your life is because you did something wrong, or your parents did something wrong. But what we see is Jesus answers it clearly. He says it was not because of his sins or his parents' sins. Jesus answered, this happened so the power of God could be seen in him. We must quickly carry out the tasks assigned us by the one who sent us. So he's saying, listen, this is actually not because of his sins. It's actually more an opportunity. Now, I don't know about you, but that's a struggle for me. I don't look at disease and illness as much of an opportunity. But Jesus, that's how he's saying it. He's not saying God gave it to him. God made him blind. He's saying, no, but there's an opportunity here. And he goes on to say, we must quickly carry out the tasks assigned to us. Now, Jesus has already made statements that he's come to heal the sick. He says, the night is coming. Oh, we'll turn the page. And then no one can work. But while I am here in the world, I am the light of the world. Right? This is symbolism. He's talking about a moment when he is going to be gone from them. But while he's here, he's the light of the world. It says, then he spit on the ground, made mud with the saliva, and spread the mud over the blind man's eyes. That's just weird, Jesus. That's not in the Bible. I added that. He told him, go wash yourself in the pool of Siloam. So the man went and washed and came back seeing. His neighbors and others who knew him as a blind beggar asked each other, isn't this the man who used to sit and beg? Some said he was, and others said, no, he just looks like him. This is how we would respond today. But the beggar kept saying, yes, I am the same one. And they asked, who healed you? What happened? He told them, the man they called Jesus made mud and spread it over my eyes and told me, go to the pool of Siloam and wash yourself. So I went and washed, and now I can see. I don't know, but if I was, like, a pastor at the time, and that happened even in our church, like, one of you decided to spit in mud and wipe it in someone's eyes and they got healed, I'd be like, hey, let's just make that part of 
story out. Let's just say you prayed. This is too weird. This is how rumors get started, Jesus, okay? But he says, now I can see. So verse 12, where is he now, they asked. I don't know, he replied. Then they took the man who had been blind to the Pharisees. Because it was on the Sabbath that Jesus had made the mud and healed him. So that means he broke the Sabbath rules, just so you know. It means he worked. You can't do anything on the Sabbath. And they were extremely particular about this rule. And so he heals the man on the Sabbath. Now that's considered work. They're not really caring too much about the fact that he got healed. They're mostly just caring that he broke this rule. And so it says he put them, or so uh, he takes him to the Pharisees. Verse 15, the Pharisees asked the man all about it. So he told them, he put the mud over my eyes, and when I washed it away, I could see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man Jesus is not from God, for he's working on the Sabbath. <laughs> Others said, but how could an ordinary sinner do such miraculous signs? So there was a deep division of opinion among them. Then the Pharisees again questioned the man who had been blind and demanded, what's your opinion about this man who healed you? The man replied, I think he must be a prophet. The Jewish leader still refused to believe the man had been blind and could now see, so they called in his parents. They asked him, is this your son? Was he born blind? If so, how can he now see? His parents replied, we know this is our son and that he was born blind, but we don't know how he can see or who healed him. Ask him. He's old enough to speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who had announced that anyone saying Jesus was the Messiah would be expelled from the synagogue. That's why they said he's old enough. Ask him. So for the second time, they called in the man who had been born blind, who had been blind and told him, God should get the glory for this because we know this man, Jesus, is a sinner. I don't know if you've noticed so far, they're super concerned about who's a sinner and who's not. And if you've been here in church at all, we've talked about sin over and over and over. And it's because I really want us to understand sin. Of course, we believe that Jesus has come to save us from our sins. But so often in Christianity, we think there's this idea of a certain list of things that are sins. But truthfully, sin is anything outside of the design of God for our lives. Because sin was this archery term. I've taught it a thousand times. I'll teach it a thousand more, just so you remember. And the idea was that when you missed the bullseye on the, the target for archery, you sinned. You missed the mark. And so they're super concerned more about whether they're following a certain set of laws. At this time, there's around 600, 613 different laws that they have mandated for Jewish believers. And if you didn't fulfill those laws, then that to them is what sin is. So they're calling Jesus a sinner because he doesn't line up with their rules. But the truth is Jesus was the only one who didn't sin because he was living in perfect design of God. I don't know whether he is a sinner, the man replied, but I know this. I was blind and now I can see. But what did he do, they asked. How did he heal you? Look, the man exclaimed, I've told you once. Didn't you listen? Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? Then they cursed him and said, you are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. 
We know God spoke to Moses, but we don't even know where this man comes from. Why? That's very strange, the man replied. He healed my eyes, and yet you don't know where he comes from? We know that God doesn't listen to sinners, but he is ready to hear those who worship him and do his will. Ever since the world began, no one has been able to open the eyes of someone born blind. If this man were not from God, he couldn't have done it. Listen to their response at the end. Okay? This is the Pharisees saying to the, the man that was blind. You were born a total sinner, they answered. Are you trying to teach us? And they threw him out of the synagogue. You see what happens and what we have to be careful of as religious people, because we are religious people. But as Christians, those who want to follow Jesus, is that so often we end up creating a divide between the very people God has come to and him. We actually become the ones that separate God from humanity. We create these divisive rules and these divisive thoughts. And so they had already, even the disciples had thought that there must be some accuracy that this man was born blind because of his sin or his parents' sin. They weren't even questioning if it had to do with that. And yet Jesus says, no, it's neither of those. And even their end argument, the, re the way they decide to get rid of him is like, listen, you were born a sinner, and they threw him out of the synagogue. Here's a newsflash for all of us. We were all born sinners. Every one of us. Every single human, human that's ever lived on this planet, I guess Adam and Eve weren't born, so we can exclude them, but they're the ones that brought it in for us. Every human has missed the image of God in their life. That's what sin is. It means we've fallen short. We hear the, in the scriptures, right, all those have fallen short of the glory of God. Yeah, because we're called to live in the image of God. So God sees that we have constantly strayed from his image and that we've lived in this sinful life where we don't look like we're supposed to. And so Jesus comes to show us a new way. This is why he's come to us. He came to show us that as a human, right, because we know this, it's this tension, right? We know he was fully man but fully God. It, it doesn't make sense, I know. But as he was living here on this earth, he was a man modeling to us how we were called to live. Modeling to us what it looked like to actually bear the image of God in this world and do what God's called us to do. And when we do that, that's when sin actually kind of goes away from us. It's not when we just stop doing something. Now, it's important to stop doing certain things. There's absolutely actions and choices that are sinful actions and choices. But if we focus on that, we become like the Pharisees. When the reality is we should be focusing on who we're supposed to become like, and that's Jesus. And Jesus has come to us to show us what he's like. He's come to this blind man to show him what he's like. You know, it says that everyone that came to Jesus for healing, there, that we see at least in scriptures, was healed. But guess what? Jesus didn't heal everybody. Right? We know that there's even, there's people that Peter and James and John heal later in the stories of Acts 
that said that, the, that there was one man that would sit at the city gates and it said that he had begged there for almost 30 years. And we know Jesus walked by that very city gate. So likely Jesus walked by this one man who was lame and never healed him. But everyone who did come to Jesus was healed. So Jesus could heal everyone, but because he was a finite man at the time, he didn't heal everyone. <laughs> and that's what part of our job is. Jesus has made us little Christ. That's what Christian means, to be like him in this world. But there's this reality that he wanted to show this man in this moment who he was and what God was like. So he comes to this man, right? He's there. His disciples ask a question. He spits in his eyes and does it in a weird way. And then he's healed. I like this next part of the story, right? So they throw him out of the synagogue. Listen to this, verse 35. When Jesus heard what had happened, he found the man and asked, Do you believe in the Son of Man? The man answered, Who is he, sir? I want to believe in him. You have seen him, Jesus said, and he's speaking to you. I know we're just reading these scriptures, but this is, you've got to imagine this moment. Now he's back with him, because this is what's interesting. Jesus didn't heal him on the spot, right? He spit in some mud, rubbed in his eyes, and said, hey, go wash in this pool. So this man's healed and has never seen Jesus yet. He hasn't seen him. He doesn't know who he is. So Jesus comes and finds him again because he had heard what happened to him. And he says, hey, do you believe in the Son of Man? Which is just another term for the Messiah that they would use often. And he said, I do, and I want to believe in him. Where is he? And he says, you have seen him. You have seen him. This is like a guy that's been blind since birth. And he's telling him, you have seen him. Why, he says? And he's speaking to you. He's standing there this moment. I, I, I don't know, but I, I try to put myself in his shoes. Like, imagine the realization, you're the one. You're the one who spit in the mud and rubbed it in my face. And now I can see. I love this because Jesus comes to him not just one time, and gives him his healing, but he comes to him another time, even in the midst of a rejection. Right? He's been thrown out of the synagogue now. And so Jesus comes and finds him again, and he says, listen, I'm the one. I'm the Messiah. I'm the Son of Man. This is Jesus for all of us. Often he comes into our life to give us some miracle, right? He saves us in some way. But I'm telling you, he comes over and over again to show himself to us. And this, this word, seen, you have seen him, it's more than just the physical eyes. It, it has this connotation of like, I see you and who you are. I, I don't know if you've seen that movie, Avatar, and I, I hate bringing movies into my sermons sometimes, but I, I love this line forever. Have you ever seen the movie Avatar? You know, the, the big blue creatures, different planet, that whole thing. But there's this thing that the, the, I don't even know what the creatures' names are, but they say when they greet each other, and this is what they say. And I've loved this. They would say this in the movie, I see you. I see you. I actually say it all the time now. I talk to people and say, I see you. Because the truth is, there's something extremely powerful in seeing somebody. 
Because so many of us live in this idea that we're not seen. That we, we aren't noticed. And I love this idea that, that God sees us. And I want to see people like God sees people. And this, when he says, you have seen him, it's this bigger picture than, oh, your eyes work now and you're looking at my face. No, he's saying, you have seen who I really am. Jesus wants to show you today who, you, who he really is. He wants to show the world today who he really is. And sometimes seeing God is hard in the midst of church, in the midst of religion, in the midst of uh, difficulties and traumas, in the midst of even being rejected by church, right? We see this from the synagogue. I see this happen all the time. People get hurt by church, and, and then they can't seem to see Jesus anymore because they're lost in the midst of that disillusionment. But Jesus wants to tell you today that he sees you and that you can see him. It's why when you walk into our church, the first thing we say is this, that you can know God. It, that should be almost mind-blowing, right? Like know God, actually know him. Not know about him. You know, we have this construct in our own society. We can know all about people we will never meet in our lives. Like I, I tend to listen for a lot for some reason. I just like him. He's, he's quirky and odd, but he's a genius. Is Elon Musk. Like, man, I just like listening to him. I know tons of stuff about Elon Musk. I will probably never, ever meet him. He will never know a human being exists named Greg Hurlbuck. There's no way I will know him in the way that that no means. But yet God, the creator of the universe, allows us to know him. Allows us to see him. And he wants to do that not just for a blind man on a street or even a church or a certain people group. He wants to do it for every individual breathing on this planet. He wants everyone to see him. This is Jesus' heart for the world. He said, yes, Lord, I believe, the man said, verse 38, and he worshiped Jesus. Then Jesus told him, I entered this world to render judgment, to give sight to the blind, and to show those who think they see that they are blind. Some Pharisees who were standing nearby heard him and asked, are you saying we're blind? <laughs> if you were blind, you wouldn't be guilty, Jesus replied, but you remain guilty because you claim you can see. I love Jesus' kingdom. It's always opposites. It's always a little ups, upside down, right? Oh, you want to live? You just got to lose your life. Oh, you want to really see? You just need to be blind. What are you talking about, Jesus? But there's this always this tension because what he's trying to do is correct our broken thinking. He's trying to correct how we understand who he is. John 10, I'm going to read this quickly at the beginning and just... Give this picture of who Jesus is. And he goes on. So we read John 10, and I've even taught on John 10, the good shepherd, many times. But I love that actually John 10 is a response to this whole story that just happens in John 9. They're not separated. So in this moment that he tells these Pharisees, well, if you could see, you'd be blind. But you're blind because you claim you can see. And then he decides to elaborate on himself with this story. And he says, I tell you the truth, anyone who seeks 
who sneaks over the wall of a sheepfold, rather than going through the gate, must surely be a thief and a robber. But the one who enters through the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep recognize his voice, and they come to him. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. After he has gathered his own flock, he walks ahead of them, and they follow him because they know his voice. They won't follow a stranger. They will run from him because they don't know his voice. Those who heard Jesus use this illustration didn't understand what he meant. So he explained it to them. I tell you the truth, I am the gate for the sheep. All who came before me were thieves and robbers, but the true sheep did not listen to them. Yes, I am the gate. Those who come in through me will be saved. They will come and go freely and will find good pastures. The thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd sacrifices his life for the sheep. I love this. Jesus is the good shepherd. And we see Jesus compare himself to a shepherd many times and teaches on shepherding many times. And, and one of the scriptures, I didn't put it in your notes, that I love is in Luke 15. Luke 15, Jesus gives these three parables talking about the likeness of the kingdom and the likeness of, of his father. And he says that there's this shepherd and the, and the kingdom is like a shepherd who, who has a hundred sheep and one gets lost. It says that he actually leaves the 99 others to go after the one. This is the heart of Jesus. That he's a shepherd and he's actually still going after the one. He's going after those who are far from him or those who seem to be rejecting him or those who even seem to not be recognizing him. His heart is after them. And I'm really believing that this Christmas season, there's going to be hearts transformed forever. There's going to be people who are going to have the scales lifted off their eyes, who are going to have these moments where they're going to see who the good shepherd really is, who Jesus really is. There's going to be a moment in these next few weeks, I believe, for family and friends of yours, where God is just going to kind of strip away these things to, to show them this is who God really is. And now you can actually see me. And really for a lot of people, it's, it's a pushing away of the old religious mindset that maybe they've had. Just like the Pharisees had gotten off track and had lost sight of who God really was, and then they actually became the divisive nature between God and people. I think that this is a season in our church and even in the world where God wants to show people who he really is so that we can really see him. That we can see a God who has literally come to us individually and globally. This is the question I want to pose as we kind of nearly come to an end. There's a few scriptures I left you in Isaiah. It says, He has sent me to comfort the brokenhearted and to proclaim that captives will be released. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. I think there's some brokenhearted people, maybe in this room today, that needed a reminder that God is close to you. In fact, He's so close that you can see Him. That He's going to open your eyes this morning and you're going to see Him in a new way. But I also think there's a lot of brokenhearted people in our communities. 
people that are just getting through life on a day-to-day basis. They're just trying to get through the things they know they're supposed to do. They're maybe just making the next right choice, or maybe they're not even doing that good. They're, they're barely alive. They're barely hanging in there. But yet God is saying that he's come for the brokenhearted. Isaiah 61 says that he's anointed to draw those people to him, to heal the sick, to give people freedom. This is what God's heart is. And as we come into another Christmas season, I always always find it so easy to just kind of go through the motions of things, but not remember why Jesus has come. He came so we could literally see him, so that we could put our eyes on him so that we could know him, so we could see his impact in this world. And I think he wants to come as literal as possible in our lives as he can today. It might not be a baby literally in a manger, but how does God want to show up in your life today? How does he want to show you how real he is today? And maybe who in your life is God trying to draw right now? Why don't we stand this morning? 1 Peter 2.9, I love this scripture. Turn there. End with this. First Peter 2.9, it says, But you are not like that, for you are a chosen people. You are a royal priest, a holy nation, God's very own possession. And as a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. What it means is he's he's made blind people see. <laughs> and maybe not all of us were born blind like in the literal sense, but all of us were born blind in the spiritual sense. And God had to give us a sight that we couldn't get on our own. But there's people in our lives and in our world, in our communities, in our workplaces, even in our families, that God wants to give sight to this season. That God wants to open their eyes and let them see him. And this is going to be my prayer as we end today. That this week, God would begin to put people on your heart. Who has God called you to show his goodness to? Because guess what? Jesus isn't going to be standing in front of them literally. But guess who is going to be standing in front of them? You. The question is, do you look enough like Jesus for them to think that? Do we look enough like Jesus for them to go, maybe, maybe this is what God's really like. Maybe the way you're loving me, that's what Jesus is really like. Maybe the way you've come after me, that's what Jesus is really like. Maybe the way you haven't condemned me, that's what Jesus is really like. This is what God's calling every one of us to. I'm going to pray for you this morning. We'll just end just believing that God wants to, to first show us that he's near, that we can see him, but then also put on our hearts those who he wants to show Jesus to. God, we thank you that you're with us this morning. God, we thank you you're in this place. God, that somehow in the midst of a a world full of 8 billion people that you're not too busy for us here in this room in Messina, New York. God, that really in every way you're standing with us right now. And so, God, I even ask for everyone in this room, everyone online, 
that we would see you in a fresh way today. God, take the scales off our eyes. Take the blindness from us. Whatever life has maybe put over our life and over our seeing and over our vision that clouds us from seeing you, God, take that away right now so that we could see you clearly. God, we want to be like this blind man who just doesn't even care about the religious questions of it all, but just simply know I was blind, but now I can see. So Jesus, let us see you clearly today. And God, I pray also for every one of us that you would begin to put people on our heart. Maybe those who are supposed to invite to church, those for who we're supposed to share our story with of what you've done in our life, those of who we're supposed to love in unconditional ways. God, give us people that we would look like Jesus too. God, we thank you for what you're doing in this place. God, we thank you for what you're doing in our lives and through our lives. We ask your blessing over every person in this place. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. Be blessed. I just always want to remind you, if you want prayer, there's some folks in the back ready to pray for you. But have a blessed afternoon. Thank you for listening to NTC Messina's podcast. We hope you join us next week and have a blessed day.